We'll just turn to the two scriptures we've been studying. 1 Corinthians 15. Is the one of them. And uh, this is part three of a series uh, on the power of thanksgiving. And we're not here to just talk about thanksgiving. We're not here to just talk about faith or just talk about a, a subject in the Bible. We're here to put it to practice in our lives. Amen? Because Amen. that's what brings Amen. results. It's good to hear the word, and hearing it is better than not hearing it. But the, but the results come when we act on what we hear. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's doing the word that, that brings results. Uh, and I'll, I'll just mention this. Um, you know, people in the congregation, and I've spent a lot more time out there than I have up here, but... Um, People in a congregation don't realize the effect they have on the person preaching and teaching. And um, that's why it's important that, that we come in, uh, and it's not how many times you say amen, or it's not how loud you say amen, or anything like that, but you can tell when people are with you, and when they're out at the park or somewhere, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, and uh, you can tell when people get, the, the word we use in America is antsy. antsy. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> they get antsy. antsy. They kind of get fidgety. And, and I guess the word comes from maybe ants. You know, they start, they start prickling. You know, they start prickling you, and you think, I got, a, I got ants in my, in my pants, you know, and I gotta, gotta get up. I gotta move, you know. Uh, so that's a word that's used in America. People get antsy, and um, when, they, when they get like that, you can tell they're, you're losing them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, especially in denominational churches, I can guarantee you at 10, 10 till 12 o'clock, 10 till 12, people start looking at their watches. And because they expect to walk out of there at 12 o'clock. And if he goes beyond 12, my roast is going to whatever, you know. <laughs> And I, I know, because I grew up in a church like that, and that's just the way especially they are. But I'll also say this. It's easy to be that way when maybe the pastor's not even born again, and you're hearing something that came out of the Reader's Digest or a poem. You're going to be ready to go at 10 to 12. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're going to be ready to go at 10 to 12. So, so you think, I, I've had enough of this. Let's, let's do something else, you know. But, but that's not what we're, we're doing here. And so, um, yeah, I just wanted to mention that because, you know, sometimes people are just not aware. You know, I think Paul said somewhere, pray that I'll have utterance by by the Holy Spirit, um, and I've heard other ministers say they, they would go somewhere to preach and they never could get out 
what they were supposed to say. They, they just couldn't get it out. And, you know, and, and, and people, people say, you know, well, if you got something to say, say it. Well, it's not that easy. You know, this is a spiritual thing. You know, this is a spiritual thing. And, um, you know, I've heard, of, and I've, you know, I've been asked to speak in a few places. Um, and, I mean, it was just like my words were bouncing off the back wall. I mean, physically there were people there, but they were not there. You know what I mean? So, so, um, and that's hard going. I mean, it's hard going. I want to say, you know, let's just go. You know, let's just go. Why, why are we even here? You know, uh, and and that's not the way it's supposed to be. You know, so um, but the more mature believers get, the less it gets that way. The less it gets that way, the 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 longer attention span they have, and the hungrier they are for the word, they lose all track of time. You know. Uh, they're, they're just focused on the business at hand. So, um, we're, we're on 1 Corinthians 15, and we've been talking about um, cultivating a lifestyle of thanksgiving. Is it possible to thank your way to victory? Yeah. According to the Bible, it is. And uh, we talked about how the word cultivate uh, means we have to initiate this. It's it's not just automatic. Uh, it's not just up to God. Uh, we we initiate our thanksgiving when we when we give thanks. How often we give thanks? That that's down to us. And we talked about the word lifestyle. That that doesn't just mean here on Saturday mornings or on Sunday mornings. Lifestyle is what you spend most of your time doing all throughout the day, 24-7. This is not just five minutes a day. This is an ongoing, continual attitude of just being thankful. Uh, we talked about how a lack of faith and being unthankful can place limitations on what God can do for us. But genuine thanksgiving from the heart before you can see the answer is a release of your faith. We talked about Hannah, you know, and how she she was a, a really blessed woman, but she got fixated on one thing she did not have, which was a baby. And uh, she got over into self-pity, and she became unthankful, and she just got into this downward spiral, and she lost sight of all the good things she had. And, and she just, she, they, 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 she got to the point, she didn't even want to live anymore. She said, God, if I can't have this, I don't even want to live anymore. Well, that's not normal for a believer, you know. So, um, faith never feels sorry for itself. Faith says, thank you, Lord. And when Hannah believed that she received and she believed that God heard her prayer, she became thankful, and she was no more sad, and Samuel was born. Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. She stopped complaining about what she did not have. She got thankful for what she did have, and she got thankful 
because I believe God's answered my prayer. Now I'm going to go <coughs> on about my business, and it happened. Uh, last time we talked about how Jesus had to resist feelings of self-pity before he went to the cross. And if Jesus considered self-pity to be dangerous, do you think it's dangerous for us? Absolutely. Uh, we talked about how being thankful connects us to the grace of God. Uh, faith, you know, all that we receive from God is by grace. We access it through faith. And uh, thanksgiving is, is a powerful way to access the grace of God in our lives. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more here in a few minutes. But if you think some something is owed to you, or you think you you know I deserve this or they owe me, that's really uh, not being thankful. If you think they owe me, they ought to do this for me, is that an attitude of being thankful? Not not really. But a humble person is a thankful person, and God gives grace to the humble. So when someone gives you a gift that you did not earn or you did not deserve. You say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. That's, that's, the right, that's the right response. Amen. Now, let's, let's read 1 Corinthians 15. Let's read 57 out loud. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's all read it together. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. One more time. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, there is a connection between thanksgiving and victory. Now, we looked at the word giveth, or in today's language we would say gives. Is that a past tense word? No. no? Present. That's a present and, and even a future uh, tense. Gives. Gives now, gives later. Gives is, is uh, that's present and future. So we should give thanks to God, obviously, for past victories and for past answers to prayer. But when we... When somebody mentions Thanksgiving, we, we tend to just uh, limit ourselves to thinking about what God's already done for us, which obviously we should be thankful, and what, what we have right now. But in this study, we want to begin to uh, learn how to start being thankful and expressing Thanksgiving in advance, before we see the answer or before we experience whatever we're believing God for, whatever we've asked Him for. So we're going beyond, uh, we're going beyond just being thankful for what He's already done, and we're expanding our revelation in this area. And we're learning how important it is to express thanksgiving for things that we have not yet experienced. Um, so, we should be given 
thanks to God for something that hasn't even happened yet. Amen? Now, 2 Corinthians 2.14. That takes faith. That takes faith to thank God for something that hasn't even happened yet. 2 Corinthians 2.14 is very similar. Let's read that one out loud together. Now thanks be to God, which always leads us to triumphal procession in Christ, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of that knowledge of Him. Amen. Uh, is that a little bit different version from the King James? Yeah. Is that King? NIV. That's okay. That's fine. That's all right. I, I, yeah, I like NIV. Okay. Um, so now in this verse, we have the word causeth, or today's language, we would say causes. Always causes. Does it say has caused? Who has caused? No, always causes. Present tense. Yeah. Okay. NIV says leads us. Okay. Well, it doesn't say has led us, does it? No. No, it says leads. That's present. Present, future. And future. Yeah. Leads us now. Leads us tomorrow. Leads us next year. Causes us today. Causes us tomorrow. Causes us next year to triumph. So he's thanking God for victory and triumph in the future. And it that requires faith to thank God for something that you don't see yet. And one of the simplest ways and one of the most powerful ways to get in faith and stay in faith is to thank God continually. Now we're not talking about thanking God for sickness and we're not talking about thanking God for negative circumstances because God's not responsible for sickness and he's not responsible for calamity and he's not responsible for lack. God is not working with those things. And sometimes you'll hear people quote, misquote, and take out of context uh, Romans 8, and I think it's 28, where they say, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. God is not working with sickness to teach you something. God's not working with negative circumstances to teach you something. God doesn't work with those things to, to teach you. Satan is the author of those things. Uh, so, God's not even associated with sickness. He's not even associated with the curse. Satan brought the curse into this earth and all the manifestations of that curse came with sin and Satan. And God is not using, he's not working with, uh, it says all things work together for good for them that love the Lord. And that's the verse a lot of people take out of context. And they think, well, God's working this for my good. No, he's not. He's not working with sickness for your good. Sickness is not for your good. Sickness is to kill you. And it's from the devil. And everything else under the curse. So God's not, God's not responsible for sickness. And he's not using sickness to make you stronger. He's not using sickness or, or lack to bless you. Satan is using these things to destroy you. That's the, that's the purpose of sickness and lack and calamity. 
So we're not talking about thanking God for these kinds of things. We're thank talking about thanking God for the victory and for delivering us and for enabling us to overcome by faith. It's the vic faith is the the victory uh, over the world. Faith is what causes us to overcome the world. Uh, our faith, and that's what we're thanking God for, is that He always causes us to triumph. Amen. That's Amen. what we're thanking Amen. God for, not the trouble. So, in a believing, sincere, genuine way, we thank God. Uh, for turning our test into a testimony, and we do it in advance. Amen? We do it in advance. Now, uh, here is, uh, we're, we're talking about applying these things. Now, this is a, a little uh, example um, of, that demonstrates this. I heard a preacher share this story um, and it really demonstrates what we're talking about here. Uh, he had uh, a young man come up to him after a service once, and uh, born again Christian, and he says, I, I, I want to quit smoking and I can't quit smoking. No matter what I do, I can't quit smoking. I wish I could quit, but I can't quit smoking. I've tried everything. I've been prayed for, I can't quit smoking. I've had it rebuked, I can't quit smoking. I've thrown cigarettes away, I can't quit smoking. I've, I've had things cast out of me and I can't quit smoking. I've had things put in me and I can't quit smoking. You know, he said no matter what I do, I can't quit smoking. And now, what does this man believe? Did he call Absolutely. He must have said 15 times in 30 seconds, I can't quit smoking. Now he is bound. He is bound, isn't he? You know, he's bound by these things. 15 times. Yeah. And the preacher said, okay, will you do what I tell you to do? And he said, well, is it hard? He said, you can do it. You know, if you just got to be willing to do it. He said, don't tell me to throw my cigarettes away. He said, no, I'm not going to tell you to throw your cigarettes away. He said, well, yeah, I guess I, guess I, I can do it. And he said, okay, never, ever again say, I can't quit smoking. He said, you've got to treat those words like they are curse words. Treat those words like they're blaspheming words. You don't ever let those words come out of your mouth again. Now, what does Proverbs 6, 2 say? Thou art snared by the words of your mouth. Mm. Colossians 1, 13, you know, says, you don't, you don't have to turn there, but just write it down. Thou art snared by the words of your mouth. Proverbs 6, 2. Does it matter what you say? Yes. yes. Okay. Of course it does. Now, um, Colossians 1, 12, 13 over there says, you know, how God has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and he's translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. God says we're free and this man's saying, I'm not free. 
And he, we got, we got a problem here. God's saying one thing, and he's saying something else. And over in Malachi, I think it's three, you know, God said, your words have been stout against me. In other words, I've, I've been saying this, and you've been saying that, you know. So, uh, the preacher said, never again say, never again say, I can't quit smoking. And this is what I want you to start saying. Every time you think about a cigarette, I want you to say, thank you, Lord, I am free from cigarettes. Mm -hmm. Every time you go buy a package, I want you to say, thank you, Lord, I'm free from cigarettes. Every time you reach in your pocket, take one out, light it, Thank you, Lord, I'm free from cigarettes. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, I'm free from cigarettes. Thank you, Lord, I'm free from cigarettes. He said, every, everything, every time you light up, I want you to say, Thank you, Lord, I'm free from cigarettes. He said, you mean when I get free? He said, no. Right now, starting right now, you start saying, thank you, Lord, I'm free from cigarettes. He said, but I'm going to be smoking. He said, I know you're going to be smoking, but I, I want you to, will you do this? He said, well, and he started to say, I can't, you know, I can't. <laughs> and he called himself, you know. He said, no, I, I don't say that. He said, well, I guess I could. And he said, well, you tried everything else. You know, you might as well do this. He said, well, I, I guess I could, but I'm going to be smoking the whole time. He said, just, just say it. You know, just keep saying it. So he went on his way. About three or four weeks later, this minister was back in the same place, and this guy came in the door, the back, smiling from ear to ear. And he made a straight line for the preacher. He said, guess what? <laughs> and he said, hmm, let me think, you know, I don't know. He said, I'm free from cigarettes. He said, let me tell you what happened. He said, when I left here last time, I just didn't know about that. You know, I was really skeptical and I just didn't think I could do it and I just didn't think this was going to work. But you were so insistent and I told you I would do it, that I said, oh, okay. So he said, every time I bought a package, I, I got out the door, I said, thank you, Lord, I'm free from cigarettes. Every time I lit up, I said, thank you, Lord, I'm free from cigarettes. And he said, I did that every time, every all throughout my smoking routine. That was as much a part of my smoking routine as smoking <laughs> was saying, thank you, Lord, I'm free from cigarettes. And he, and he said, it got down in my spirit. And it became first nature to me. It was, as, it was as instant to me to say that as it was to light the cigarette. Thank you, Lord, I'm free from cigarettes. And he said, one day I was standing on the street corner. I had a cigarette in my hand, smoking away. 
Thank you, Lord, I'm free from cigarettes. And he said, I was about to cross the street, and he said, something hit me. And he said, I knew that I knew that I knew I was free. <laughs> and he said, I dropped that cigarette, I put it out, I haven't had a desire for a cigarette, I haven't smoked another cigarette, I have, don't miss them, I have no desire for a cigarette, I am free. Now what if this man had waited till he got free to start thanking God? It never ever would have happened. That man would still be bound by cigarettes, walking around saying, I just don't understand why God doesn't take these cigarettes away from me. Well, in the first place, God isn't going to just take, take them, because we have a choice. Now, if this man enjoyed smoking, and he still wanted to smoke, he isn't going to give up cigarettes. You know what I mean? This has to be somebody who has got to the point, they hate smoking, and they want to get rid of it. People enjoy smoking, they're not going to do this. But, but people have come to the point, they hate it, and they, they want to be rid of it. That's the, that's the position this man was in. So, uh, but if he had waited till he got free to say I'm free, it never would have happened. It's like, it's like saying, as soon as this room warms up, I'm going to put some wood in the fireplace. <laughs> it, it, it's never going to happen. You got to put the wood in the fireplace before you're going to get the warmth. And, and this is not just talking about thanksgiving. We got another principle going here. Romans 4.17 We are calling things that are not as though they were. That's what I wrote my first book on. Calling things that are not as though they were. This man's problem wasn't really smoking. His problem was he was calling things that are as though they are. And he was like a dog chasing a tail. I just don't know why I can't quit. I just don't know why I can't quit. I just don't know why. Well, I know why. And now we, we all understand why now. You know, it, what you say is what you believe. I'm, thank yes. you, Lord, that I'm free from this pain in my back. Absolutely. <laughs> that was, that's my next that's my next that's my next point people laugh and they mock and they say oh that's saying that stuff that doesn't make any you know that doesn't make any difference well they're going to stay bound by cigarettes or whatever whatever they're struggling with because they don't believe the bible god says we have to call things that be not as though they were now if this will work like Ann just said, if this will work on cigarettes, will it work on anything else? Yes. Absolutely. Thank you, Lord, I'm free from arthritis. Thank you, Lord, I'm free from pain. Thank you, Lord, I'm free from high blood pressure. Thank you, Lord, I'm free from cancer. Thank you, Lord, I'm free from arthritis. Thank you, Lord, I'm free from diabetes. Thank you, Lord, I'm free from overspending. Thank you, Lord, I'm free from debt. This will work on anything, I'm telling you. I'm telling you, this is the answer. This was worth you getting out of bed and coming down here this morning for if we stopped right now and we didn't talk about anything else. I have just given you the answer to, 
I'm just giving the answer to thousands of Christians out there today who are struggling and they are striving and they're going round and round and round and round the same mountain with the same problem, trying to give up this, trying to give up that, trying to get free of this. And this is the answer. I just gave you the answer in about 10 minutes. This was, this was worth coming for. Amen? Amen. So, we need to start thanking God for the answer. Now, what happened here? As this man, as this man began to thank God in advance, while he was thanking God, God was causing him to triumph. Yes. And God was supplying the grace he needed to quit. I mean, it's obvious this man could not quit by himself. This was beyond him. Because he'd already said, I've tried everything. I've been prayed for. I've taken this drug. I've had this patch. I've had, you know. It's obvious he, he couldn't do it by himself. It, took, it was going to take the grace of God. But he was wanted to wait till he got free and then thank God. And this is where people have to get their minds renewed. They want to wait till they have it and then say, well, I got it. Thank you. You know, no, we got to call things that be not as though they were. And when he began to give thanks to God for being free from cigarettes in advance, it connected him to the grace of God, which set him free from the cigarettes. Because it, he had to have the grace of God to get free. Now, I'll say there are times when people are prayed for and they are instantly delivered from cigarettes and they're instantly delivered from drugs and they're instantly delivered from alcohol. Sometimes you just take people off the street and they get born again and instantly they, they have no desire to smoke or drink anymore and these, you know, just bad habits. And sometimes it is instant. But, uh, but when it's not instant, many times, especially where Christians are concerned, they just throw their hands up and say, well, I'm not going back down there anymore. They're, they're no different from anybody else. You know, I, I've already been prayed for 15 times and, you know, they didn't do anything either, you know. So they, they just assume that if a manifestation is not instant, that God said, no, you can't be free. That's not, that's not what he's, he's, God's saying at all. They don't understand the principles of faith. What about Naaman the leper? Remember him. He had leprosy. Yes. And um, he, he heard about Elisha. He heard about uh, this little maid, little maid from Israel, working in the household there, said to his wife, if, if he just knew about the prophet in Israel, he could be healed of this leprosy. Well, he, his ears perked up, boy. You know, his ears, Elisha, you know. So he, he went, actually he wrote the king first, I think. And anyway, he, he got in touch with Elisha. So he went and he knocks on Elisha's door. And he already had it worked out in his mind how, how this is going to happen. He's going to come out. He's going to hold his hand over, you know, my leprosy. He's going to pray for me or whatever, and, and I'm going to be healed. 
Well, that's not what happened at all. As a matter of fact, Elisha did not even come out of the house. He sent a messenger outside and said to, to Naaman, go wash in the Jordan River seven times. And Naaman says, you mean I, I came 600 miles down here and this preacher will not even come out and pray for me? You mean I made this trip for nothing? What kind of a preacher is that? Now a lot of people do this. And, and he, he was mad. I mean, he stomped off, you know, back to his chariot. Let's go. I've wasted my journey. Let's go home. And his, one of his servants ran after him and said, Wait a minute, wait a minute, don't run off. Just hold on a minute. He said, now, if that preacher would have told you to do something difficult, you would have done it. You were prepared to do it. If he would have told you to do something difficult, you would have done it. And here he's asked you to do something as simple as going to this Jordan River, washing seven times, and you don't want to do it. And Naaman said, well, okay. But, he said, what about these other two rivers over here? They're just as good as the Jordan, and they're even better than the Jordan. Why can't I just go? They're closer than the Jordan. Why can't I just go to those two rivers and dip in them and get clean? Because that's not what God said. <laughs> that's not what, that's what, that was not the instructions. He had it all worked out in his mind, how this ought to happen, and he came this close to missing his healing. And fortunately, he listened to the words of his servant and said, okay, if I gotta go to the Jordan, I'll, I'll go, you know. And he went and he got healed. <laughs> but it didn't happen the way he thought it was gonna happen. And this man, I, I suspect, came with the, the cigarette man, came to that preacher expecting him to pray for him. He had probably had it all worked up in his mind before he got there. He's going to pray for me, and I'm going to be instantly delivered from cigarettes. That's not the way it happened. He didn't pray for him at all. He gave him some instructions, just like Elisha gave Naaman some instructions. Now what about the ten lepers that came to Jesus? You know, Master, have mercy on us. What did Jesus say to them? Go show yourself to the priest. He didn't pray for them. He, if God would have told him to pray for them, I can guarantee you he would have. If God would have told Elisha to go out and pray for Naaman, you know he would have done it. But that wasn't the, that wasn't the instructions. Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priest. He gave them some instructions. And fortunately, they didn't argue. They just, they, they, the Bible says, as they went, they were healed. As they acted on the words of Jesus, as Naaman finally acted on the words of Elisha, 
as they went and and they acted on the word the grace for the healing came but if they had not acted on that word it would not have happened and people go off and say well i guess it just wasn't god's will to heal me no they had to act they had to act on the word they had to do what jesus said and those lepers had probably been told you just get that jesus preacher to pray for you and you'll be healed but in this particular situation Jesus didn't pray for them. Sometimes he did pray for people. Sometimes he did lay his hands on them. Sometimes, in this case, he just gave them some instructions. So, the key to miracles, and one of the most important statements in the whole Bible, is by the Mary, the mother of Jesus, I think it's John 2 or 3, at the wedding feast, feast of Cana. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. That's that's it. That's it. Amen. So apply this principle to your area. Things you've struggled with in life, you can get free from them. The answer's here. Put into practice what we're learning. Now it's going to require some changes in you because people get used to living and talking a certain way. Even Christians. Some people yield to things and they don't even realize they're yielding to it. People will speak the curse and destruction on themselves and don't even realize it. And if you say, don't say that, they'll say, don't say what? What you just said, don't talk negative. I didn't say anything negative. They don't even realize, they don't even realize what they're, they're doing. They've yielded their tongue to the devil and they don't even realize it. And this is the little loot that the devil, if he can get people caught up in this, he can just keep them <laughs> gradually destroying themselves and not even realize it. And, uh, you know, you might try to correct them, but they may not want to hear it. You know, you just have to be led by the Spirit. As some people don't want to be corrected. And some people won't receive instruction. And, and the Bible says a, a fool will not receive instruction. And that's just, you know. Uh, so, but that's not us. Amen? That's not us. Hallelujah. So they say things and they think things. And to them it's normal because everybody else says it. And they've been doing it for the past 20 years. So this is where we got to make a change. Now, those people did not get in that situation overnight. And probably they're not going to come out of that situation overnight. And, and even if you begin to get your tapes out and your CDs and, and the Bible and teaching series and you begin to listen to them, all, the, all day, all night, and you really begin to immerse yourself in the Word of God, it's still going to take a while to get that old junk out and get the Word of God in there. And this is exactly, in Proverbs 4, 20 to 22, that's exactly what it's instructing us to do. Keep the Word of God in your eyes and in your ears. And you, and you come to the place where you, you think, instead of saying, blurting out something negative, you think, 
What does the word say about this? And a lot of Christians are not willing to do that because it's a whole lot easier to just say it's not the will of God and go turn on Coronation Street. But that's not us. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. We're willing to do this and our lives are changing. And the things that have been holding us back and holding us down are going to fall off. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. Now let's turn over to 1 Kings 21. 1 Kings 21. <clears throat> Are you warm enough or too warm? Or is the temperature okay? It's going up a bit. Is it? You're okay. Okay. First um, Kings 21. We have a story that involves three people: King Ahab, his wife Jezebel, and another man named Naboth. Now you've probably read this story at some time or another, but. And traditionally, Jezebel has gotten all the attention, but Ahab was equally a nasty piece of work. And some of their descendants are still with us today. Now, as we dissect this, we want to be examining ourselves and not other people. And we just need to ask ourselves, how does this apply to me? Because we don't, we don't want to do what we're going to uh, read about here. So, in verse uh, 1, It came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house, and I will give it thee for, for a better vineyard than it. Or, if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. So, Naboth's vineyard joins the king's property, joins his palace property. And the king said, you know, King's out walking one day and he says, that is a fine looking vineyard. That, that really enhances my property and I really like that vineyard. I ought to have that. And uh, I, I'm sure, I'm just sure that if I go to him and offer to trade him a better piece of land, that he'll accept it. Or, or he'll be willing to sell it to me. I, I'm, I'm just sure he'll do that. So, uh, Ahab approaches Naboth. Verse 3, um, Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give thee the inheritance of, of my, my father's. So uh, Ahab approaches Naboth and he, he offers to trade, trade property with him or 
Just name your price. I'll pay it. Whatever you say this vineyard's worth, I'll pay it. And Naboth says, well, that's a generous offer, but I can't do that. He said, this property, this vineyard has been in our family for generations. I inherited it from my father, and he inherited it from his father, and I'm going to leave it to my children. So it's a very generous offer, but I, I'm, I can't. So either the Lord told him, or, you know, it was in the will, or family will, or whatever, but however God spoke, uh, you know, there's a lot in the Bible in the Old Testament about land being kept in families and so forth. Uh, however God spoke to Naboth, he knew that this land was to stay in his family, and he was not to get rid of it. Now, today, this would be like, you, you got a business, a good, successful, prosperous business, and one day, the area mafia boss comes around and knocks on your door and says, I've been watching your business for a long time, and you got a really successful, prosperous business going here. It's in a fantastic location. I want to buy you out. And you say, well, uh, you know, just name your price. And you say, well, you know, that's a generous offer, but my great-great-grandfather started this business, and it's been in our family a long time, and I'm going to leave it to my children, and it's just not for sale. Now, how do you think the mafia boss is going to take that? Hardly. Yeah. He's pretty used to getting what he, they're, they're pretty used to getting what they want, aren't they? Well, this is a situation Naboth is in. He knows this is a pretty risky business telling the king, no, I, I can't sell you this property or I can't trade it for another piece. Because um, he also knows Ahab has a reputation for being a nasty piece of work and he can send people around, you know, <laughs> kind of like the mafia. So he knows this is risky business saying no to the king. And you know the king is used to getting what he wants and he's not used to people saying no to him. So, verse 4. And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. Now what is Ahab doing here? Sulking. He's sulking. He's pouting. He's uh, started his pity party, hadn't he? <laughs> the New English translation says, So Ahab went into his palace, bitter and angry. He lay down on his bed, pouted, and would not eat. The contemporary English version says, so Ahab went home angry and depressed. He lay on his bed, just staring at the wall and refusing to eat a thing. The NIV says, So Ahab went home, sullen and angry. He lay on his bed, sulking and refused to eat. Now, 
Does this sound like somebody who's thankful? <laughs> Not really, is it? Why is he reacting this way? It didn't go his own way. For one thing, he's a spoiled brat, isn't he? You know, for one, one thing. Now, you remember we, in Matthew 16, we talked about how when Jesus began to talk to his disciples about what he was going to suffer, and, uh, and it was right up to the time he was going to the cross, and he began to, to talk to his disciples about these things, and Peter pulled Jesus aside and he said, Oh no, Jesus, this is not going to happen to you. You don't deserve this. This isn't going to happen to you. And Jesus wheeled around and he said, Satan, you get behind me. And, and the reason he reacted so sharply and so strongly was because he was already dealing with self-pity. The devil was already working on his mind. And it wasn't just the physical suffering of being nailed to a cross and whipped and all that. As bad as that was, Jesus knew he was going to be made sin. And we can't really even kind of comprehend but, but for Jesus, sinless, spotless spirit who had never been separated from God in all of eternity. And he knows what's coming. He knows this is going to separate him from God. He knows he's going to hell. He knows he doesn't deserve to be made sin because he's never sinned. And the, Peter basically turns around and says, Jesus, why don't you just feel sorry for yourself? That's what it says in the Greek. It says, pity thyself. And Jesus was struggling with these feelings, and that's why he wheeled around and said, I cannot, he was saying, I cannot afford to give one second to self-pity. Because if he did, he would have backed out of this. And he, he knew he couldn't back out of it. He, it this was a dangerous thought. Self-pity was a dangerous thought. He said, I cannot entertain this thought for one second. That's why he was so sharp with Peter. Well, if Jesus said self-pity, if he thought self-pity was a dangerous thought, then we got to treat it like a dangerous thought. And, and, and if Jesus can come to the place where he cannot give place to self-pity, then we can come to the place where we don't give self-place to it. Amen? Mm -hmm. So here in 1 Kings 21, we have a perfect example of self-pity and being unthankful. Ahab is throwing a straw because he thinks he deserves that vineyard. And if he wants it, he ought to have it. And he doesn't deserve to be treated like this. He is the king. And nobody talks to the king like this. Never mind, he's already got 50 vineyards. He wears the finest clothes money can buy. He rides in the finest chariots pulled by the finest horses money can buy. He lives in a palace. He eats the finest food money can buy. Served on the finest china money can buy. And the problem here is he is losing sight of all these things and he's got his eye on one vineyard that happens to belong to somebody else and he's got fixed, fixated on one 
theme he does not have and nothing else means anything to him. All this other means nothing to him. His, he's already forgotten about his 50 other vineyards. He's totally fixated on the one he does not have. Now, we talked about earlier, is there a place between thankful and unthankful? Is there just an empty vacuum here where you can say, well, I'm not really thankful, but I'm not really unthankful either. Not really. Not really. There's not really a gray area there. Uh, there's really not a place where you're neither thankful nor unthankful. Now you can see how this is a trick of the devil. No matter how many things you have, there will always be something else to want and to long for. And this, this is where Ahab is right here. It's a lie of the devil. If I could just get this one more thing, I'd be happy. And that's where Ahab is. He's got everything I just mentioned to you, but if I could just get this vineyard, I'd be happy. I'm sure that's the same thing Ahab said about the last five vineyards he acquired. He acquired. If I could just get this one, I'd be happy. But those last five vineyards weren't enough. He's got to have this one now. Now, we got something else going on here as well. We got covetousness, don't we? This is not an empty field with a for sale sign on it. This land is not for sale. This, this is owned by another man. It's not for sale, and he's just decided, I ought to have that. I like it. So, he's acting like a two-year-old, throwing a tantrum. Now, I don't come to Guilford every Saturday, but when I do, I have some errands or something, almost at least once while I'm here in town, I will run up on somebody on the sidewalk and there's a two year, three year old on the sidewalk mm -hmm. and they're screaming at the top of their lungs. They just came out of the toy store and they did, their mother wouldn't let them have this plastic duck that costs 50p. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And at home, they've got expensive toys piled to the ceiling worth hundreds of pounds and they're throwing a tantrum because they couldn't have the 50p plastic duck, you know, and they're crying their, their eyes out. So this begins in childhood. If I could just get Supergirl, if I could just get the, net, the, the robotic helicopter, you know, or whatever, I'd be happy. But then it's if I could just get that new bicycle. I, I'd be happy. This It starts in childhood, and then we get into adulthood. If I could just get that new car, I'd be happy. If I could just get that bigger house, I'd be happy, you know. If I could just get that pay rise, I'd be happy. No, they won't. They won't because no matter, you know, there's always going to be something more to long for and, and to, uh, to want. Uh, and, and uh, you know, people say, well, if I could just make a million, that's it. I I'd be satisfied. I'd be happy. Well, for three or four months, they might. But then, well, if I just had 10 million, think what I could do, you know? The, it, and this carries on into adulthood. 
Now what about this one? If I, if I just had a new husband or wife, I'd really be happy. <laughs> now that's, that's a pretty common one, isn't it? If I just could get a new husband or wife, then I would be happy. That's a real common one. Now, what I just described to you is materialism. That's materialism. And the majority of Christians in the body of Christ cannot discern the difference between materialism, covetousness, and true Bible prosperity. Materialism is using material things to meet a spiritual need and using material things to satisfy what only God can satisfy. And that is not what we teach and preach in true Bible prosperity. Bible prosperity is something totally different from materialism, but because people are not instructed in the Word of God, the difference between materialism and covetousness and true Bible prosperity, they just lump the whole subject together and say, we don't want anything to do with that because they, they're not taught in the Word and they don't know the difference. They remain ignorant and they remain deceived regarding God's will and His plan to bless them abundantly. If somebody can't be happy with 100 pounds, they're not going to be happy with 100,000 because there is no set amount of money that can satisfy you like God can satisfy you. Only God can truly give satisfaction and contentment. Money is a good tool. It, it, it meets your needs and it helps other people, but there's no set amount of money that uh, can give you satisfaction and, and bring contentment in your life. Now, people will get out of that ditch. They'll get out of the materialism ditch. If I could just have this, I'd be happy. They get out of that ditch, they walk across the road, and they get in this ditch. Oh, we don't want any of this world's goods. We just give us a little log cabin down in Dorset and, and we'll be happy. You know, we don't want any of this old world's material goods. Just enough for me and my little family. That's, that's all we want. Now that's just as wrong as this ditch over here. That ditch is just as wrong. They think they're being humble. Just give me my 1962 Volkswagen and my little thing in Dorset cottage and I'll, I'll, that's all we want, just enough for me and my family. That's not humble, that's selfish. That is selfish. They're not thinking about anybody but them. So this ditch is wrong and that ditch is wrong. The Word of God, true Bible prosperity, the being blessed by the Lord, is right down the middle of the road. Amen? And that's, that's what I teach, and that's where we're staying. Amen? Amen. Now, Proverbs 27, 20 says, The eyes of man are never satisfied. I'm sure that's one of the favorite verses of all the anti-prosperity Christians. They can all quote that one, probably. Thank you. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, He that loves silver doesn't say he that has silver, it says he that loves silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loves abundance with increase. So I'm sure that's two favorite scriptures from all the 
the Christians that are against Bible prosperity. But like I said, the truth is money's a good tool. It meets your needs. It helps other people. It blesses you. It blesses other people. And it advances the kingdom of God. Amen? So it's a good thing. Now, back to Ahab. In the natural, this man has it all. He could be chauffeured around all of his property every day for a month just inspecting and looking at all the land he owns and never go back to the same land twice. He, he's got thousands of acres of land. He's totally forgotten about it. He's uh, unthankful and he's obsessed with this one piece of land and he cannot be happy without it. He's unthankful and he's feeling sorry for himself. How did he get this way? It all began with a thought. He was out there walking around one day and he saw that he saw that vineyard and he thought that's sure nice. It joins my property. I ought to have that and I deserve it. That's where it began with a thought. And in Ahab's mind, it was already a done deal. He started working up in his mind how this transaction was going to happen. It was just a formality. I will go to him, I'll make him an offer, and he'll accept it. He wouldn't dare say no to me. I'm the king, you know, and I'm used to getting what I want. So he assumed Naboth would do this. Everybody say assumed. Assumed. He assumed that Naboth would say yes. Just by the fact I'm the king, he wouldn't dare say no to me. So he's already decided what Naboth should do with his land. Okay? Now, this is exactly what's happening in Israel today. Other countries in the world have decided what Israel ought to do with their land. Big problem, isn't it? Big problem. Now, Ahab is already planning what he's going to do with this vineyard. It's a done deal. He's already got it worked out. These are deadly thoughts that assume things. He thinks he deserves it. Now, there's a big difference between God promising you something in his word and you just believing you deserve something and it ought to happen, okay? There's a big difference. And I think people accuse us of that along the same line as well. You just think you can order God around and you just think you can... No, we're not ordering God around. He has made us promises. Oh, we're, we're just believing what he's promised. And we found out what he's promised. And it's never wrong to believe God for anything that he has promised you. It's never wrong to believe God for anything he's promised you. But this, this is not the situation here. This land belongs to somebody else and he's just decided he ought to have it. Now, 2 Peter 1.4 says, The grace of God through his exceeding great and precious promises has enabled us to be partakers with him 
and we access it through our faith. It talks about the exceeding great and precious promises whereby we are partakers of the divine nature. So God has made us promises and we're believing for them. That's what, that's what we teach and that's a whole lot different from what's going on with, with Ahab here. Ahab has justified that he deserves this man's property because he's the king and people can justify in their mind why, you know, somebody owes something to them or they should be entitled to it. And uh, they've done nothing to deserve it. And the devil will feed these thoughts to people. And when you think they owe me or I deserve it, that's exactly the opposite of favor and grace. We go to God on the basis of his word. We say, Father, this is what your word says. You have already provided for me by grace. And with my faith, I lay hold of what you've already done for me. And I want to give you thanks in advance. Okay? Amen. Now, what if Ahab had handled this differently? When Naboth said, no, I can't sell you this land what if Naboth would have just said okay it's your vineyard you can do whatever you want to with it and he just went on his way and he stayed thankful for what he, ever, what he already had and he just stayed happy well it, it might not would have happened but God it, it's possible God could have dealt with with Naboth, God could have gone back to Naboth and said, yeah, it's all right, go ahead and sell it to him. You know, it's okay. But because, I'm not saying it would have happened, but it, it could have happened, and Naboth then would have been pleasantly surprised and thankful because this man has shown him favor. He didn't strop in like, I deserve this. I'm the king, and you ought to do this. That's totally unthankful. There's no way that man's going to have favor with him with an attitude like that. But if he would have just said, okay, it's your vineyard. Do what you want to. If you ever change your mind, come back to me. God could have maybe dealt with Naboth and said, let it, you know, sell it to him. It's okay. You, you got my permission. And Naboth would have been... He wouldn't have been saying, well, yeah, you owed me the whole time. No, he would have been pleasantly surprised, and he would have been thankful. He would have been thankful because God, he, he, had, he received this by grace. It was a favor of God that Naboth changed his mind. But he didn't handle it that way. So it's important to know the word. People get confused, and they just assume things. And God is not moved by needs or wants. He's moved by faith in his word. So here we've got Ahab laying across the bed, having a pity party. There's no faith in what he's doing. And when you throw a pity party, you invite the devil, and he will be the first one to show up at your party. Now, I'm probably all of us in this room at one time or another have done what this man's doing right here maybe not to the extreme but I assure you the devil will be the first one to show up at your party we expect from God 
We do expect from God. We do expect Him to keep His word. But we don't know how He's going to do it or who He's going to use. Because sometimes we're believing for things that involve other people. Other things have to happen. There are other people involved in this transaction. But when it comes to other people, we don't assume what they should or could do for us. And, and uh, we do expect from God, but we don't just assume people are going to do something for us because we're setting ourselves up for disappointment. Because I can tell you, people, just get in the ministry, you know? Just get in the ministry and listen to all people say, Oh, yeah, Barb, we're with you. Oh, yeah, Barb, we'll do this. Oh, yeah, Barb. And they're the first ones out the door. You know what I mean? So you don't assume, you don't look to other people. If they do help you, you're pleasantly surprised and you're thankful. Praise God. Amen. So if we, if you think about what's the most common things that upset people, it's either something somebody did to you or something they did not do for you. That's two of the most common things that people get upset about. And, and if, we, if we never got upset about those two things again, think about all the time wasted that we would have saved ourselves, you know? Not, uh, you know, not getting upset. Now back to Ahab. He's throwing this pity party. And things go from bad to worse. This all began with a thought. Does it matter what you allow yourself to think about? Yes. Absolutely. Romans 8, 6 says to be carnally minded is death. And when we recognize these deadly thoughts, we need to immediately go into thanksgiving mode for everything we have, and we need to immediately treat it the way Jesus treated it. Satan, you get behind me. I'm not going to have that thought. I refuse to feel sorry for myself in this situation and just start thanking God. Just turn the tables on him. That's how we got to treat these, any deadly thought. But the thought of feeling sorry for yourself, we got to start treating it the way Jesus did. Start recalling all God has done for you and everything you're currently enjoying. If Ahab had done these things, things would have turned out much different. If that's the way Ahab would have treated the situation. If he had, re if he had recognized that thought of, of self-pity and said, No, I'm not doing that. I'm, God's given me everything. He's blessed me. Just look around. I've got a, so much to be thankful for. I refuse that thought of self-pity. And he... If, God can get me another vineyard. You know what I mean? If he would have treated it that way, this story would have turned out much different. But the way he is at this point, he's making himself sick with pity. He's pouting. He's mad. He's grieved. And he's disappointed. Now, verse 5. But Jezebel, his wife, came in and said to him, Sweetheart, what's wrong? You're, you're, why are you so upset? You haven't eaten a bite all day. What's wrong? Now, what's she doing? She is petting a powder, isn't she? She's feeding his self-pity. She snugs up to him. She puts her arm around him. 
What's wrong, sweetheart? Why are you so upset? He goes, he's got his head in the pillow. <laughs> and she says, I can't hear you. Get your head out of the pillow and talk to me. I, I can't hear what you're saying. Nabuk <laughs> won't give me his vineyard, you know. Now, she says, well, bless your heart, poor, poor little baby, you know. He is not poor. He is the king. <laughs> but he is acting like a baby. Okay? She's feeding his self-pity and she is feeding his flesh. She is stirring up this aggravating and pushing him deeper into this self-pity. Now, how many church people do you suppose have done this? Feeling sorry for other, you know. You don't deserve to, I, you have every right to feel that way. You don't deserve to be treated that way. And they think they're being sympathetic and they think they're being helpful. And they're just driving these people down into this vortex of feeling sorry for themselves. And it gets darker and it gets darker and it gets darker. What's going on in this room? We got Ahab, we got Jezebel, and we got demons in this room. And an innocent man is about to die because of what's going on in this bedroom. Now, this man is a king. He's supposed to be a leader. His people need him. His army needs him. And he's laying on the bed like a two-year-old because he can't have another vineyard. Now, what if, what if Jezebel had been a strong woman of God and instead of being an instrument of the devil, she might could have jerked him out of this. What if she had walked in that bedroom and said, get up out of that bed, stop acting like a wimp, and start acting like a king? <laughs> That's what she should have done. What if she had done that? She might could have jerked him out of this and she might could have saved a man's life. Dear Lord, you already got 50 vineyards. Forget it. You know what I mean? What if she had done that? Every time you spend time feeling sorry for yourself, you are neglecting things you're supposed to be doing. And when you are in self-pity, you open the door for the devil to jump right in the middle and you're yielding to the devil and Ephesians 4.27 says what? Neither give place to the devil. And that's exactly what Ahab has done. When he came in and threw himself across that bed and started pouting, he threw the door wide open to the devil. And, and all of us at one time or another, we, you know, uh, we, we, we felt sorry for ourselves at one time or another, but it only made things worse. But we're going to have to treat this like Jesus did. And we're going to have to say, Satan, get behind me. I'm not yielding myself to that thought or that feeling. I have so much to be thankful for. I've got my health. I've got strength. I've got a wonderful house. I've got a wonderful car. I've got a wonderful family, you know. And if you don't have any of those things, you've got something to be thankful for. Now, verse 6. So Naboth takes his head out of the pillow and he says, 
Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else, if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. Now is that what Naboth really said to the king? Did he say, I won't give you my vineyard? No, that's a lie. He said, I can't. I can't give you, I can't trade this land for another piece of land, and I can't sell it to you. This, this, this is a lie. He didn't say, I won't. He said, the Lord told me I can't. That's, that's a lot different. Does Ahab care about Naboth and his family? No. He doesn't care this vineyard's been in their family for generations. He doesn't care that God told him not to sell it. He's only thinking about himself. He doesn't even need the vineyard. And he's, he's, he's only thinking about himself. Verse 7. And Jezebel his wife said unto him, Dost thou not now govern the kingdom of Israel? Get up. Go have some food. Let your heart be merry. I'll see to it that old mean Naboth gives you his vineyard. I'll get even with that old Naboth. Isn't that, isn't that one of the things that if you start feeling sorry for yourself, you start thinking about, I'll get even with them. <laughs> you, know, the, you know, they'll be sorry they did that. So she arranges for two false witnesses to come forward and lie about Naboth. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with the seal, sent the letters unto the elders and to the nobles that were in his city dwelling with Naboth. And she wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth on high among the people. Now these people receiving these letters, they think these letters have come directly from the king. And they have not. Yeah. And uh, Jezebel says, we're going to have a celebrate Naboth day. <laughs> we're going to have a parade, and we're going to have food, and we're going to have speakers. We're going to celebrate Naboth. And the whole thing was a setup to have two false witnesses come forward and tell lies on Naboth. Because, you know, in the, in the Old Testament, in the Law of Moses, it says, you know, if somebody was killed, you had to have two or three witnesses that saw it. You, you couldn't just be one person's word against another, or you couldn't just have, you know, you could have a, a somebody say, yeah, I saw him kill that man. No, it took two or three people. So she's using the law, and she's using the Bible, so to speak, to justify killing this man. So they're going to get up and they're going to tell lies or say, yeah, I heard him blaspheme God and I heard him blaspheme the king. So that's what, that's what she did. And it all began with a thought, I should have that. Now, verse, verse 15. Uh, where are we? So they proclaimed the fast. They set Naboth on high. And uh, there came the two men, children of Belial, set before him. The men of Belial witnessed against him, even Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth did blaspheme God and the king. 
And then they carried him forth out of the city, stoned him with stones, that he died. And Jezebel comes in and says, Sweetheart, get out of bed. You can have that vineyard now. That mean old Naboth is gone. It's your vineyard now. Go get it. Naboth's gone. He's, he's out of the way. Now, it doesn't get much more devilish than this, does it? Lying, killing, stealing. Isn't that what Jesus said Satan does? So anything behind lying, killing, and stealing, that is of the devil. Now, this is not Jezebel's fault, really. This is Ahab's fault. He could have stopped this. He could have stopped it at the beginning when Naboth told him, no, I can't sell you the land. But he, did, he didn't stop it there. He yielded to those thoughts. And the devil, when he went home and he threw himself on the bed and he sulked and refused to eat, that's when the devil took control of this situation. And then the devil used Jezebel to go in and indulge his self-pity and encourage him even more in self-pity. And Naboth was murdered because Ahab felt sorry for himself. Now verse 17, and the word of the Lord... So Naboth goes down and he, uh, Ahab goes down and he's walking around Naboth's vineyard and he's so happy he's got this vineyard now. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he's in the vineyard of Naboth, whether he has gone down to possess it. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, hast thou killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. And Ahab said to Elijah, oh, let's stop there. Now, did God, God did not send Elijah to Jezebel. God sent Elijah to Ahab. He is the real culprit. God is holding Ahab accountable for this, not Jezebel. Ahab was the king. He could have stopped her from carrying out the plot to kill Naboth. He knew what she was doing, but he wanted that vineyard and he didn't care how she got it. He could have stopped this. He could have taken authority over that thought to begin with that I ought to have this, I deserve it, and he ought to give it to me. He could, secondly, he could not have yielded to self-pity. Thirdly, he could have stopped Jezebel from carrying out her plot, but he did not lift one finger to stop her. He married Jezebel, and it's his fault she's in the palace to begin with. Now, verse 20. And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And he answered, I found you, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. How did he sell himself to work evil? By yielding to self-pity. This was not the first time, I can assure you, this was not the first time Ahab 
ever plotted against somebody else or the first time he had ever had somebody killed. He was used to getting his way and if somebody had to die, they had to die. This is not the first time this has ever happened. This says down in, uh, where, does it, where does it say, verse 25, it says, But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. He said, there was, no, there was nobody like him. Uh, nobody as wicked as him to, to stir up evil. This was not the first time this, this had happened. He, they had plotted these things many times before and carried out these, these kind, this kind of devilish wickedness. So uh, he was used to getting his way. And this wasn't the first time he had ever acted like a baby and threw a, a pity party. Now verse 21, God said, Behold, I will bring evil upon thee, and I will take away thy posterity, and will cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel. And will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, for the provocation wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Him that dieth of Ahab in the city the dog shall eat, and him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air be eaten. These people are not even going to have a proper burial. The dogs are going to eat them. But verse 25, but there was, there was none like Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. And he did very abominably in following idols, according to all things as the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. But it came to pass, when Ahab heard these words, that he rent his clothes, and had put sackcloth upon his flesh, and fasted, and lay in sackcloth and went softly. Ahab repented. He humbled himself when he heard these words, when Elijah caught up with him, and he heard what the judgment coming on him. He humbled himself before God, and he repented. He sincerely humbled himself before God. After all the evil he had done, he stopped feeling sorry for himself. He stopped feeling like somebody owed him something. And he repented before God and he said, God, be merciful to me. What does God do for the humble? He gives grace. And verse 28 and 29 really are the most astounding verses of this whole chapter. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, God said to Elijah, Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Do you see after all the evil and all the wickedness he's done? Do you see how he's, him, he's repented and humbled himself before me? I will not bring the evil in his days, <coughs> but in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. Ahab is going to live out his life and all this judgment's not going to come on him like God had, had told him. 
It would, if he hadn't repented and humbled himself, it would have happened just like God said. But after all the wickedness and all the things that this man had done, he genuinely humbled himself before God. And God, God said, okay, I'm not going to bring this judgment on you. It's going to come on the next generation. It's going to come on your, your sons. This man was the nasty of the nasties. But even after all that, is God being gracious to Ahab? Absolutely. Absolutely. He said, I'm going to postpone this judgment and all these bad things are not going to come on you. They're going to come on the next generation. Does, does Ahab, did Ahab deserve this? No. He didn't deserve it. Does, does Ahab think God owes him this mercy? No. I mean, if you're asking for mercy... You know you deserve judgment, don't you? <laughs> you know, you know you deserve ju judgment, and you know you don't deserve any help if you're asking for mercy. So we don't ever want to do anything remotely like this. Amen. So, what could Ahab have done different? He could have caught that first thought about how he should have David's vineyard and he could have cast it down and said, no, that man does not owe me anything. If he missed it there and he had all these plans built up in his mind what he was going to do with this vineyard when he got it. Uh, you know, when Naboth said no, Ahab would have been disappointed. But what do we tend to do when we get disappointed? We get sad and we start moping around and we start feeling sorry for ourselves. Everybody in this room's done it. We've done it. But from now on, when that those thoughts and those feelings start creeping in, the alarm bells are going to start going off on the inside of us, okay? And the red flags and the alarm bells are going to start going off. And you, when you catch yourself, going down this road. So parents, be strong. Grandparents, be strong. Husbands and wives, be strong. Never yield to somebody feeling sorry for themselves. Not your child, not your friend, not your family member, not your spouse. Never allow someone feeling sorry for themselves to lead you or to make a decision to change your mind about something. If you've said no, then it's no, okay? If you're led by God to say no, don't let somebody feeling sorry for themselves cause you to change your mind. It can be the very door the devil needs to take somebody out or to destroy something. This is what the devil worked through to destroy Nabal's life. He still works through self-pity today. One thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. You don't see it, but the devil has a plan and a snare, and if you yield to it, he can take you down that path into destruction. So what gave the devil place? Feeling sorry for yourself, yeah. Which is being unthankful, 
and cuts you off from the grace of God. It even, even opens the door to the destroyer in your life. We saw with the cigarette man, when he began to give thanks in advance, thank you, Lord, I'm free from cigarettes. The grace of God began to come on him to free him from those cigarettes. It, 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 it was all a process, and it began, the, the, his deliverance began when he began to thank God in advance. In advance, he didn't think, you, you owe me, you know, I've, God, I've built three churches, and I go to every prayer meeting, and I clean the church. You ought to, you ought to do something about these cigarettes. No, he didn't think he deserved it. He just started thanking God for delivering him from those cigarettes. So, and that access, the grace of God that made up the difference, what he could not do, and the grace of God came in and delivered him supernaturally from those cigarettes. Amen? Amen. So, we're not opening the door to the devil. We're not cutting ourselves off from the grace of God. And we're not opening the door to the destroyer in our lives. Amen? Amen. So let's stand up, and we're gonna we're gonna declare this. We're gonna decree it. Hallelujah! We're not giving place to the devil. Say, I refuse. I refuse. I refuse. I refuse to feel sorry for myself. To feel sorry for myself ever about anything. Ever about anything. I will give thanks to the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord at all times, at all times, in everything, in everything, continually, continually. So let's start right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your kindness, your love, your faithfulness, your provision, your grace. Thank you, Lord, for what you've already done for us. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing for us right now. Thank you, Lord. We are a thankful people. We are a thankful people. We do not lose sight of what you've already done for us. And, Father, we're learning how to access the grace of God through thanksgiving. And thank you in advance for, for you. Legally, Lord, it's already done. Just like that man, Lord, you had already freed him from cigarettes. But he activated it when he began to thank you in advance for doing it. Hallelujah. And your grace came in and set him free from those cigarettes. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, in advance for every good thing, Lord. We're believing for everything you've already done for us, Lord, that we haven't yet experienced and we haven't yet enjoyed and we haven't seen yet, and we hadn't heard it yet, and we hadn't felt it yet, Lord, we thank you in advance because Jesus has already done the work. Amen. And we're accessing it by grace through faith through the avenue of thanksgiving. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You are good. You are good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. I had a picky party this morning before I came here. Just as you've been saying, because of all the pain in my body, I didn't know how I was going to get here. And you, with what you said now, I'm giving thanks to God that I am free from pain in my body. Amen. 
Amen. Amen. I'm telling you what. I'm telling you what. It will work on anything. Thank you, Lord. I'm free from this, 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 whatever it is. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Amen. I'm telling you what. Your, your words go out into the spirit. Amen. And it gets down in your spirit. Just like that smoking man. And one day he was sitting on the standing on the street corner. And it hit it. He's I knew that I knew I that I knew I was free. And I never smoked another one. Hallelujah. But he got it down in his spirit. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Thank you for the ancestors of my life that have prayed for me before I was even born. 